Was there an Adam? Was there an Eve? Or did we evolve from what we conceived? Either way, we got... Hey everybody, this is Harvey Sago Wasserman, back with the Solartopia Green Power and Wellness Show here at PRN.FM. We have been running uh, for many, many months the... Um, the Zoom call for the uh, grassroots emergency election protection uh, meeting, but we are taking a couple of weeks off and we're going to stick with energy now. Um, but we have two incredibly important uh, people with us to spend the hour uh, on uh, talking about nuclear power and renewable energy, uh, both of which are very, very much in the spotlight uh, today. Uh, we have got news uh, from France, the so-called Poster child. Uh, well, let, let me tell you first, our, our guest from San Luis Obispo uh, is the great Linda Seeley. Um, uh, although she's only 19 years old, but she's been working on nuclear power for more than 50 and, and is the mainstay of the, uh, of the movement at the Diablo Canyon nuclear plant, which I consider the number one danger to, on the world, uh, uh, on, the, on the planet today, to the future of the human race. And there is much to report on what's going on at Diablo Canyon. Um, and then uh, we have Ron Leonard, one of the great mainstays of the solar energy industry in the United States, uh, with a ton of report uh, on uh, the latest attempts by the fossil nuclear industry to kill uh, renewable energy uh, and certainly rooftop solar, which is uh, the ultimate um, um, threat as far as they're concerned to the um, of centralized fossil nuclear um, uh, utility industry. So <clears throat> that's that's going to be our focus. We're going to stick with the nuclear uh, until we cover the issue and, and certainly what's happening at Diablo Canyon. I will tell you there, there is a miracle underway right now uh, where we're broadcasting from uh, in Southern California, which is it's raining. And it's been raining uh -huh. for like a week. Uh, and it's a serious rain to the point where I feel like I'm in Ohio again. <laughs> the temperatures have been 40s and 50s for the last week, which of course is when my daughters came out to visit. But hey, uh, you know, I'll take it. This has really been phenomenal. It's raining now for like the third straight day. And, um, you know, uh, Linda, you as a Californian uh, certainly understand. I don't know if it's raining in San Luis Obispo, but uh, God knows we need it here. Are you getting rain up there? We well, actually, we have a break in the rain right now, and it's absolutely beautiful. But it's supposed to move in later this afternoon, and it's been raining for a week. Well, let's hope it's, the reservoirs get at least up to half. <laughs> you know, yeah, you know, and apparently uh, they've had uh, one of the biggest snowstorms in history in the Sierra Nevadas, which is also yeah. for the uh, for the for the water pack. So let's let's hope this carries it through because I, I've been here for. I don't know, about six months, I haven't seen rain like this. I saw one day of rain, and uh, now it's really yep. pouring. So uh, those of you in the rest of the country, I hope you appreciate uh, how critical this really is. I have started to build a very large boat in the back here, but uh, progress is slow. So anyway, I do, have a, I do have a grandson named Noah. We'll leave it at that. So um, Seeley, Linda Seeley, uh, there is yeah. much about Diablo Canyon. Uh, as as we know, uh, a deal was reached uh, a number of years ago to shut the Abel Canyon, uh, the unit one by 24, unit two by 25, 
And now, I mean, with all these morons uh, talking about uh, keeping it open longer. Do you want to, do you want to fill us in on what the, what the realities are? Yeah, well, uh, we have some hope right now. The morons actually include the Biden administration, including Jennifer Granholm, the Secretary of Energy, who um, is advocating for keeping Diablo Canyon open for 10 years after it's uh, uh, after the date of its closure, which, as you said, is 24 and 25. The, I, I don't know how he or the Biden administration came to this um, conclusion that it could be that it could be safe or um, sane to keep Diablo Canyon open. Nothing has changed there. It's only gotten worse. First of all, one thing that's really important is that many of the seasoned workers at Diablo Canyon, the operators, the technicians, the engineers, et cetera, are leaving. They're retiring. Uh, the the um, institutional knowledge that's been there, and it's a quirky place out there, um, that is being lost even as we speak. Um, the uh, Apparently, the radiation protection out there is um, less than um, ideal and we can't talk about that too much right now, but there it's um, apparently there are some are uh, there are a lot of problems with radiation protection to the uh, workers there. Um, the, the, as you know, Harvey, and as you've talked about over and over again, the unit one reactor vessel was built in 1967 and it is. <laughs> Were they on acid when they built it? <laughs> probably it, it is i think by now it's probably the number one most embrittled reactor vessel in the whole country and what that means is that if they had to do a cold shutdown like in an emergency that if they flooded it with cold water because it's brittle it would break like you'd put like if you put a glass of uh boiling water into a into a bag of ice. You just can't do that with something that's brittle. So there's that. Um, the spent fuel pools are so overcrowded. Uh, they're at least three times uh, their original capacity, and they're just loading them up more and more. Um, there's that. Uh, the dry cask storage space is um, is out there, but it only has enough storage space on it for uh, the current amount of um, dry ca of dry casks that they're planning to load after the thing shuts down. So if they if they would keep it open longer, they'd have to buy it, build another dry cask storage facility, which is insane. Um, there's the once through cooling, where it kills billions and billions of fish larvae and, oh, microorganisms, uh, you know, the things that are necessary to the, to the health of the ocean that once through cooling system kills everything thing that comes through it. They take in 
and discharge 2.5 billion gallons of water every single 24 hours. And they've been doing that for 40 years. And How it's much been, water? The water that they send back into the ocean, 2.5 uh-huh. billion, dollars, billion gallons a day. That's for uh-huh. the two reactors, right? For both of them? Right. How much uh-huh. hotter is it than the, the temp- natural temperature of the sea? Just around 20 degrees hotter. Okay. So you talk about, they say it doesn't contribute to global warming, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Right. How does, how does a, an atomic reactor burning at 570 degrees Fahrenheit not contribute to global warming? Exactly. That is completely insane, Harvey. And plus, it lets out steam constantly into the atmosphere. I thought steam was hot. I don't know. Last time I reckon. It was. No, this is cold steam. This is right, right, Ron. I mean, this is steam. It's it's environmentally safe steam. <laughs> right. And the radiation. The radiation is good for you. Right. It makes you stronger, right? <laughs> yes. Um, uh, the, and then we've got the seawater intake structure that's very vulnerable. You know, are, the oceans are rising, right? Yeah. And the seawater intake structure is, um, you know, that thing is built exactly to the specifications that were true in 1970 not true today the ocean is rising as we speak and so that thing um is not going to function for that uh, much longer um and of course not, a, a tsunami would wipe that thing right out that's right oh my god and not to mention the fact that diablo canyon is still built uh at the nexus of 13 earthquake faults and two of those earthquake faults are major and active. So that's, and we haven't had an earthquake there, but you know. No, all, it takes, all it takes is one. I will uh-huh. say, you know, I saw <clears throat> one of the most painful sacrifices I've ever made for the anti-nuclear movement. Um, there was, it, it was a night and it was the uh, Cavaliers and the Warriors uh, in the in the finals. It was one of the best games in the history of the NBA. And uh, uh-huh. but I had been told that this movie uh, San Andreas, starring Dwayne right. the Rock Johnson, <laughs> uh, was made about this, uh, a major earthquake on the San Andreas Fault, but made no, <laughs> no mention whatsoever of any nuclear power plants. I mean, they showed. They showed San Francisco underwater, for God's sake. They showed Los Angeles breaking in two, but there was no mention whatsoever of any nuclear power plants. And I, I didn't believe it. So I had, I, before I could talk about it, I had to go see the film, which was horrible. Uh-huh. I mean, if you ever have to go see that film, bring something to read. It, it's like incredibly boring. And so, uh, and, and by God, there was zero mention of any nuclear power plants in California uh, in this giant film about the San Andreas blowing the place to pieces. So I guess you have nothing to worry about. I think that's because most people actually don't know there's a nuclear power plant in California. And people around here 
think it already shut down. <laughs> I know. Barbara Boxer thinks it's shut down. I was at a fundraiser, right. and, I, and I, I got up, and Barbara Boxer was speaking, and I talked about San Andreas, about uh, Diablo Canyon. She said, what are you talking about? It's already shut. I mean. How about that? How about that? So um, <laughs> when is the next um, fuel outage for, uh, and Ron Leonard, I appreciate your patience. Thank you for sticking with us on this. But I know you're interested in Diablo Canyon. Oh, yeah. Um, um, when is the next fuel outage for Unit 1, and how many more fuel loads do they have to 2024? It couldn't be more than two. Well, no, there's one, there's one in March, and there's another one in October. And I can't remember if the March is one which? is Unit 1 or Unit 2. Yeah. Well, we're still um, begging but- the governor of California to just inspect the unit one to see what the embarrowment situation is. And they, we got no response. No response. And the governor of California, to his credit, did say last week that even despite the pressure from the Biden administration to keep it open, he's still sticking with the plan to let it shut down. Um, so we'll see. Yeah. I don't I don't trust any of them. We have to remember that Diablo Canyon is operated by the brilliant and efficient and trustworthy company that burned down half of Northern California and it exploded uh, a a neighborhood in San Bruno. I believe that uh, uh, PG&E, Pacific Gas and Electric, is the only company in the country, if not the world, that has been twice uh, convicted of involuntary manslaughter. Uh, right. That's some kind of record, right? I think it's a world record. Yeah. But uh, PG&E says they are not planning to open. So, and I, I extracted a promise, but that doesn't make any difference. Right. Um, I think actually, yeah. would, I think keeping Diablo Canyon open would be PG&E's worst nightmare. I mean, uh, yeah. I think there's probably enough management people in there who know how bad that plant is. Uh huh. But who knows? So it, what we all we can do is hope and pray, keep the pressure on, write to the governor, tell him he made the right decision to shut down Diablo Canyon, write to um, uh, Jennifer Granholm, the Secretary of Energy, and tell her she's making the wrong, she's wrongheaded on this, um, and see if we can get through to her. I don't. I've been trying to get through to Jennifer Granholm, but it's been impossible so far. Well, I'm glad the Mothers for Peace are still going. You're still having your meetings. Oh yeah, we're we're still we're still going strong. How Although long we are, has, we do take younger members, huh? How long has the Mothers for Peace been been going? When was your first meeting? 19, 1967. Jeez, 19. So when you met at the first. At your first uh, Mothers for Peace meeting, did you have a lava lamp and a hookah, or was? Were you... <laughs> I imagine I, w- I wasn't there. I didn't move to California till '82. Oh, but I, Jane Swanson, our president, she she was there at the second meeting in 1967. I can't see her with a lava lamp and a hookah, but you never know. I didn't know her back then. Well, I was arrested at Diablo Canyon in 1984, just before they opened it. And we were called the late in the day affinity group. 
because we considered ourselves in our late 30s and 40s to be geezers at the time. <laughs> so, you know, there you go. But I had three lovely nights in the San Luis Obispo jail. It was, uh, you know, they had us outside because the jail was packed. And mm -hmm. I, I will say that orange is not my color, but uh, <laughs> it, it was a very good experience. And I, I have to tell you, that I went back there a few years ago with my two of my daughters to the gates of San Luis at, at, at San Anope, at, I'm sorry, I'm kept straight here, to the gates of Diablo Canyon. And a security guy came out and I told him that I had been arrested at there and uh, would he take a picture of my me with my daughters? And he was quite friendly and, you know, 40 years younger than me and uh, thought it was pretty cool. <laughs> and I had been arrested there. And I asked him if he wanted to arrest me again. He said, no, nah, you know, we, we're, we're busy today. Come back another time. <laughs> so, um, well, um, so what do you think uh, um, uh, the odds are? So they have one more refueling. I, I'm assuming they have two more refuelings before, uh, before it shuts in 84. Would that be? Oh, at least. No, they have more than that because this is only going to be 22. They they do a refueling in each each reactor every eighteen months. Well, so. it's twenty. It's now twenty two. Eighteen months is um, that would be three years. I think there's only two more refuelings. Do the math. I mean, from your lips to God's ear. I hope so. Well, if they refuel in or let's say uh, they refuel in March of twenty two, they go eighteen months. That'll be February of twenty four. I, I think there's. Uh, I think there's yeah. only maybe one but or that's two. For, that's for one of the units, and the other one is refueling in March. Well, we should find we, out. We should find yeah. out. I do yeah. want to report, and I know you know this, uh, both you guys, that um, serious problems have arisen in the French nuclear industry. Now, you've got Germany and France sitting right next to each other. Germany is about to, this year, well, in 22, uh, will will shut its last reactors. There will after 22. I believe that there will be no more operating nuclear power plants in Germany. They had, I think, uh, 22, 23, something like that. No, I think they had 19 actually, and uh, they they shut eight of them immediately after Fukushima, because Angela Merkel, who actually has a brain, um, is a, a chemistry uh, uh, professor. And um, was convinced by Fukushima that this was not, not a good idea. Uh, the French, however, have 55 reactors or thereabouts, and they they have been talking yap yap yapping about building more. But in the last couple of weeks, and Ron, you've probably followed this, uh, they discovered major cracking in at least two plants, four reactors. Now, you know, the big rap about the French industry has been that it's standardized. They have 50 plus reactors, uh, but only two designs, which is lovely until you have a generic flaw in one of the reactors. And the, the two, well, apparently four reactors that they've discovered cracks in probably means that half the French industry, uh, the reactors are cracked. And they are now going to have to go. And the, the, the closure of these four reactors, apparently these are pretty serious cracks. Uh, the closure of these four reactors is going to significantly impact 
French electricity supply this winter. You know, they're very, they, they're very dependent on electricity in France in the winter. And unlike us, where we, you know, we're, especially in California, where we're, you know, energy hogs in the summer because of uh, air conditioning. So if in fact these four reactor cracks uh, turn out to impact half the reactors in France, they might be reconsidering building new reactors. I mean, it's, it's, it would be a major, major impact on the French uh, reactor industry. Uh, I don't have to tell you if they have to shut half their reactors. So this is a pretty big deal. And um, uh, we need to keep our eyes on it. Linda uh, Seeley in, in uh, uh, San Luis Obispo, it's something that I'm sure you're aware of and should be talking about because all these years, uh, we've been, everybody's just saying, oh, look how wonderful the French industry is. They get seven, well, they were at 80%, they're down to 70 now, and they're gonna go lower uh, if these cracks uh, prove to be endemic. Ron, did you wanna say something? Yeah, just that uh, I think endemic describes what we've seen in the United States with Westinghouse reactors, which I believe you might have one of out there. And this is a prevalent problem because most of these reactors really weren't considered to be operated for the number of years that they actually have been operated. And it's just, it's, it's not likely that they would work. Well, Linda, are, are the, uh, the reactors at uh, Stanley Obispo, I can number remember, are they Westinghouse or General Electric? Westing, I think Westing, oh, I can't remember. Westinghouse, I think. Well, listen, you should look into this because if those are Westinghouse reactors, and I think they are, the French industry is all Westinghouse reactors. There, there's two, two sizes, um, but they may be very similar to Diablo Canyon. And if they've had a cracking problem serious enough to force them to shut four reactors, this might be relevant to Diablo Canyon. Oh, yeah. So I, I think you should take a look. Just go ahead and Google. And of course, this has gotten zero coverage. I mean, zero coverage in the American media. I just happened to pick it up on a nuclear site. But, you know, uh, the fact is that if there are four Westinghouse reactors in um, France that are cracked, they are almost certainly very similar to the two reactors at Diablo Canyon. And this oh, is, uh, go ahead, yeah. I am, tr I'm looking it up right now. And, th if, and this is something that, uh, this is an issue because the French, God knows, would not be shutting any of their reactors if this one really serious. It's Westinghouse. Yes. They are Westinghouse. Yeah, they're pressurized water reactors. And, um, and yeah. um, uh, there are all sorts of things that can go wrong. And uh, if these two reactors, four reactors in France, well, they will be very similar to Diablo Canyon. So um, you, you should do the basic uh, look-see uh, in terms of, uh, uh, you know, uh, a potentially generic problem here. Because if, they, okay. you know, you got the problem in France with a Westinghouse reactor, <coughs> they're not all that different uh, worldwide. They're two different sizes, but otherwise, they're the same. I mean, the reactors at Fukushima were General Electric, boiling water. But uh, uh, th this is worth looking into. So I'll send you some information and we'll take a look. Okay? 
Yes, and they are Westinghouse, and now I'm really very much more concerned. So I've got to, we have to, Mothers for Peace has to look into this and see how similar the two designs are. Yes, and, and, uh, and you, you know, you have to maybe find somebody who reads French. Um, I studied French five years, and I can barely order dinner. But, uh, uh-huh. uh, you, you know, uh, but the, the, because the Americans are not covering this at all. You're still seeing no. about how the French are considering building more reactors. They've had one under construction in France for years and years. It's Flamanville. It's almost as bad as the Volcker plant in uh, Georgia, which is, which is still, you know, uh, it's over 30 billion now. They're still ta- they're talking about 22, 23, 24. They might, op- might, might open it. I mean, the two of them, I mean, it's insane. And then the French have had a very, very parallel situation in a place called Flamanville. And the, and the uh, fin, Finland has Okriuto. And uh, mm-hmm. all the reactors under construction, at least in the West, are complete disasters. Mm-hmm. So, but uh, this, this would be a big deal, Seely. So let's k- stay in touch on this. And, uh, yeah, we'll do. Okay. Thank you. All yep. right. Go out and uh, uh, have some French food. Uh, watch your cholesterol, though, and uh, okay. let's talk again, okay? And if you find anything, okay. I'm going to do this in the same sl- slot next week. So if you come okay, up with I'll- significant <laughs> findings, let's talk about it again next week, okay? okay. And Happy New Year. Happy uh, you know, tomorrow's my birthday. It's his birthday. Oh, that's right. Happy birthday. So go out and get drunk and uh, uh, and uh, and have a great year. My birthday. At least <laughs> okay. Sure. Okay, Linda, thank you so much. We'll talk to you again. That's Linda Seeley, uh, uh, my, my buddy from uh, Cleveland, uh, uh, transplanted to uh, uh, San Luis Obispo, California, on the case at Diablo Canyon. And uh, let's get that thing shut uh, before they refuel it, for God's sakes. Take care. We'll talk to you again. You too, Harvey. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, now we're with the great Ron Leonard. Leonard, great. Ron, great to see you. Um, and um, uh, they are in the midst of uh, trying to kill rooftop solar here in California. There is, seems to be no end to these morons. Um, uh, so if can fill us in, please, on what they're trying to do. Well, happy to the New Year or New Year's battle, as we consider it. And the, uh, the, the fun story is the bastion of the industry, the thing that started the industry to be actually something that had thousands of people in the United States employed was residential solar systems. And what made residential solar systems work? They suddenly became legal, uh, generally in the late 1990s. And by legal, I mean that when lots of people hooked up solar back in the day, they sort of plug things in, but it was connected to the utility and it really wasn't monitored correctly or really wasn't hooked up in the most swift way. But in the 90s, we came up with these inverters that were UL rated and the system actually only stayed on unless there was power from the grid. So there was no problem with electricity hurting anyone. It was a legal system and that legality enabled systems to be installed like in California, you have 1.3 million residential solar systems installed on people's homes. 
Right. And, and include, that includes my son-in-law around the corner. And there you um, go. we bought a house out here and we've been dithering because we, we can't afford to put the solar on until we sell our house in Ohio, but nonetheless. And you mentioned inverters. I just wanted to throw you newbies out there. Uh, Ron, will you explain what an inverter does? So there are two types of electricity. Let's say two flavors of ice cream. One is AC, which you have in the grid and that the utility provides to your house. And one is DC, like you'd get in the battery. A battery is DC power, but so is a solar collector. That solar collector produces direct current. That's what we're talking about. That's sort of the old Edison electrical system that was done in the late 1800s. DC power. And uh, that power is converted to line voltage and 60 cycles, the sync to the uh, grid power by this thing called an inverter. It's a magic box in your, in your basement that uh, the solar collector is connected to and it monitors the power flows, it optimizes the amount of power coming in from the solar system <clears throat> and converts everything to AC so your household system can use it. And I'll tell you, since I'm a historian, I'll have to bore you with this, but um, uh, when Edison invented electricity uh, for uh, commercial use, it was DC, it was direct current. It only went straight from one source to another. And it, 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 hard did, and it did not travel well. He couldn't get it to go very far. And so he, he had a, um, uh, an assistant named Nikola Tesla, and he challenged Tesla, he told Tesla, that if he figured out how to make electricity travel farther, he would give him $50,000, which is at the time was a fortune. Still is, but nonetheless. And, and Tesla figured it out by inventing alternating current, which boomed back and forth. And that worked for long-distance long transmission. And he went to Edison and said, here's AC current. And Edison said, screw you and wouldn't pay him. And that's why Tesla went out with AC which still works today, and, uh, and, and, and Edison was stuck with DC. And there's a whole other story that goes with that we could maybe tell later. Nonetheless, okay, so the inverters on your rooftop make the solar usable in your home and can go back into the grid. And that's been going on successfully. Yeah, it's been going on successfully forever. And the other new wrinkle in the, in the ball game here is people have figured out especially in California, that that power from the grid isn't always that reliable. You know, sometimes you have fires and sometimes you have overusage and, boy, they have rolling blackouts and my power may not stay on. What am I going to do? I'm working from home. This is COVID. Oh, my God. Well, people have hooked up batteries to that inverter. And that battery provides DC electricity back to the inverter. And the inverter connects that DC electricity, flips it over to AC electricity, and powers your house. And the magic in that whole system is normally when a solar system is connected to the grid through an inverter, the inverter has to see grid power. Otherwise, it shuts everything off. Well, the new inverters have the ability to take battery power and form its own grid in the house and isolate the house from the outside grid. And wow, power goes off, not in my house, I'm good. Uh, I can work, I can live, I can uh, do everything I want. Well, that adoption of batteries in California residential solar systems 
was only like maybe 10%. And then we had these little problems with uh, fires, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> and the battery adoption went up to 60%. And there are some solar companies in California that only sell a solar battery system. And that may be a little bit threatening to a monopoly utility. Let's put it this way: it's it's a death knell for the new for the utility industry. If you can if you can not only get solar, uh, you know, from the sun, and have a battery in your basement, you have no need what's well. Of course, we don't have basements here in Southern California, but <laughs> somewhere, you you know, you you don't need the utility company at all, and that's terrifying to them. It's called walking with your feet. People have realized that, wow, uh, a commodity product that's dirty, delivered by a business, which is a monopoly that doesn't care about me, and raises my price every year for dirty power and inept service, maybe there's another way out. And that's what the residential solar system enabled people to look at. It was a way of saying goodbye to a service that really wasn't serving them very well. Right. And the utilities uh, are very concerned about that. And they sort of made that concern evident by an action that they did, which you can't see quite so well here, but I'll share it with Harvey. There are uh, a whole bunch of states magically uh, looking at this thing called net metering. And net metering, we'll explain, is that is a fair trade. If you have excess electricity from that solar system in your house and you're out, you know, carousing around town or uh, uh, doing something else and not using that amount of electricity and don't have a battery to put it in, you put it on the grid and your local neighbors get the benefit of like electricity and net metering allows a fair trade. If you put energy on the local grid and you need to buy back more energy later on, say at night when the solar is not running, you do it at a swap price, a fair swap price. Uh, and that enabled the, the payback of a solar system to be reasonable. And uh, that, it's starting in California, New York, Florida, Minnesota, Connecticut, New Jersey, South Carolina, and Arkansas. Who's next to be examined for whether net metering sort of makes sense for the utility? Probably not in every one of those states. And these things all of a sudden happen magically at once because people have figured out, well, if solar is becoming less costly and it provides a reliable service and i have to work from home i really want to be able to keep the lights on and keep the internet working well this is a good deal for me i probably should do that and then magically california passes a law that says any new construction if you build a new house in california you have to put solar on that roof light bulbs go off bad light bulbs for the utility Yes, they, they see it's called doom. <laughs> it's called the end of their industry. So what now? So this net meeting. Well, what exactly, Ron, are they now doing to try and stop and kill the solar industry? Well, it's an interesting little game, 
Uh, and it all started with this crazy idea that I think some consulting company came up with. It's a, a sort of a, a, a concept that they use and bandy about, and all of them use exactly the same words, which is this cost shift scenario. And the cost shift that they say that, that that's occurring is that solar on people's homes is being subsidized by other ratepayers, and specifically those ratepayers of the low-income or moderate-income people who can't afford solar. Well, there's a little problem with that logic tree. It's false, for one, because solar on the grid actually supports the grid itself in your neighborhood and benefits all ratepayers. And there's been a study by a guy that uh, formerly was a utility guy, Colorado, in California, showing how much money that actually does benefit the grid in California. But the falsity of the statement relies on the simple fact that 40% of solar installs in California are on low to moderate income homes. It's actually benefiting those people who the utilities claim are hurt by putting solar on people's homes. It's actually giving those people who are having the most impact on their monthly bill uh, go away. They can get uh, basically free electricity from the sun if they put a little bit of money out and uh, buy a solar system and put it on their house rather than monthly, yearly see these incredulous billing thing increase, 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 increase. So uh, the, the idea was, uh, how do we stop that? Uh, and they came up with a wonderful solution, which we call the solar tax. And functionally, this tax uh, does two things. They, they, they say that they're going to use this money that they, that they get back from anybody who puts a solar system on for some special purpose, like helping poor people. But we are already helping poor people by having solar on their roofs. And uh, we're also helping poor people who, who don't have solar on their roof by putting 1.3 million solar roofs in California, because that reduces the cost of electricity for every ratepayer uh, to the tune of millions of dollars, actually billions of dollars. Uh, so the, the first gamble is let's tax solar, but it'll be a gradual tax. It won't hurt so much. Uh, but then they came up with the other good idea, which is that uh, anybody who puts solar on their roof is now instantly going to be on a demand metered rate. And when you add those two things together, it's very likely that it's going to cost you more to put a solar system on your roof than it would be to buy electricity from the monopoly, the monopoly, the monopoly utility. So that's that's the way it can be killed. It can be killed by a thousand cuts. And that seems to be the plan. Technologically, Ron Leonard, we're talking with Ron Leonard, one of the great experts and players in the solar industry. Technically, what is happening with solar? Is it continuing um, in, in pure uh, technological terms to get cheaper? So... Uh, as of uh, up until COVID, let me put it to you that way, year in, year out, solar has dropped down in price. 
in the last two years, it's either been flat or slightly above. That really, uh, for lots of different reasons, hasn't hurt the residential solar system business as much as it's hurt the large solar farms that you see out in the hinterland someplace, uh, because the residential solar systems was labor intensive and they didn't have that many panels up in the roof anyway. So the percentage costs or the price increase of the solar panels didn't really kill anything, but uh, it hurt a little bit. And then COVID came along and uh, in the beginning of COVID, like in New York state, they shut down the installations of solar systems and it did hurt insulation systems of systems in general, because people need to go to your house and look inside your roof. And when COVID was ramping up, uh, people just didn't want to do that. Uh, but even with all those obstacles in place, uh, what occurred in California at least was that the uh, industry managed to have probably a 20% increase year over year in, in terms of its business. And that was probably fairly exciting uh, to uh, see if you were a uh, monopoly utility that, that that thing really has legs. It really has the ability to keep on in terms of adverse conditions that are very onerous. No one's just ever seen anything like this in the real world and uh, still provide the value that people really want. And they're going to buy it no matter what. And how about uh, with the uh, with the Chinese? What's the uh, dynamic with the Chinese and the, the supply of panels? So the the interesting thing that happened is uh, after basically two thousand and nine, when we were the leader of manufacturing solar panels in the world, and obviously it was invented here. Harvey told a little story about you know how Edison uh, invented the commercial uh, uh, production of electricity by a utility in Manhattan in the late 1800s, well, two years after that occurred, uh, also in New York, uh, the first solar electric system was installed in somebody's roof. And it was literally miles away from Edison's power plant. They probably knew each other. And all of this stuff was invented in the United States. We built up an industry in the United States. And then uh, in the after... 2000, 2001, 2002, a whole bunch of places, people, Chinese, uh, Japanese, others came to the United States and toured our plants. And they said, hmm, good idea. I should do that. And they did. In 2009, starting from nothing, China has suppressed our production of solar panels. And ever since then, uh, never looked back. In fact, probably uh, over 60, 70% of the worldwide production of solar panels are made in China at this point. Uh, nothing wrong with that, except when you have a little problem with things like pandemics or worse, you have a little problem with the relationship between two countries, the United States and China, or worse, 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 when we find out that uh, there is a possibility that slave labor was used in the production of the metallic silica, which is mined, uh, and that metallic silica is turned into solar panels, and those solar panels are then offered up for sale in the United States. Oh, wait a minute, that's that's not going to happen. We're not going to use slave labor to to uh, bring across the ocean panels, possibly made 
by people who are not getting paid a living wage or any wage whatsoever. This, this uh, all came about because uh, China had decided that the Uyghurs, uh, which is a, uh, a bunch of people in the uh, western part of China who are really um, more uh, uh, not quite Chinese in ethnic origins, they're probably more Turkish, uh, have a problem uh, with the Chinese government. I think the problem's more or less centered around not their ethnicity, but their uh, religion, their uh, Sunni uh, Muslims. And uh, China decided they were going to be re-educated. And uh, part of that re-education process, uh, besides confinement, uh, after re-education, uh, scattered them around the country to be used for labor force. And uh, this is how we think this has occurred in not only in solar collectors, but in manufacture of cotton, <laughs> and actually in the production of wine in China. Uh, a very unfortunate situation, but that occurred in the United States last year. Uh, we, we saw that was an issue. Uh, a law was put in place by customers to make sure that none of those panels arrived in the United States. And the little problem with that is that no one was really tracking at that time where the metallic silica was mined. And some places in China was mined normally, some places in China was mined likely by these poor Uyghurs who were not being paid. Uh, then uh, Customs was faced with the duty of enforcing an unforceable rule or an untraceable product, and they seized 100 megawatts of solar panels from one of the companies, and then they seized another 40 megawatts of solar panels from another country. And then all of a sudden, China decided probably wasn't a great idea to ship solar panels to the United States until this was all straightened out. Other uh, things occurred at the same time there, like COVID here. And also, they had a problem with power in China. Uh, and that power actually came from coal-fired power plants. And they had a shortage of power in China. And they actually shut down the manufacturing of solar panels because of that. So all the worst of possible wonderful bad things occurred at once. And uh, the result was an increase in the price of solar panel and a shortage of solar panels worldwide. And how long will it take for that to ease up, do you think? Very good question. Uh, no one knows for sure, but the theory is twofold. One is that uh, we are going to see a glut of solar panels. That's uh, good, that's good uh, uh, except China had a, a, a relief valve, and the relief valve was that they were going to install as much solar panels as they want to in China uh, and sop up some of that glut. Well, they've, I think, reached the... Uh, installation limits, uh, they, and they intend to install, I think, 50 gigawatts of solar panels. They've done that before in 2000 in China on the ground, mostly now in Mongolia, uh, and would sop up that. But uh, we think that has been reached. We also see that the price of other commodities used to make solar, solar glass, aluminum, steel for racks, those prices are also dropping slightly. 
So the answer to your question, Harvey, is we believe that in the middle of next year, we will see normalized pricing for all this material and availability ramp back up. In the meantime, uh, things like not only things like uh, car batteries, which you're going to be needing to transfer uh, away from uh, fossil fuel and transportation, uh, solar panel manufacturing will kick back up in the United States. Unfortunately, it really takes a couple of years to start from ground zero to put in a solar plant, but some solar plants still, still uh, exist in the United States. The largest one is a, a company uh, euphemistically called First Solar, uh, and they intend to double their production in the United States. One of the places that they will be doubling it is in Ohio, and they think they'll get to six gigawatts, but they started with three gigawatts. And uh, that uh, is an interesting scenario because even though that they were going to double their production, they are in effect sold out. Wow. We have so much demand worldwide that it's gone. Well, real quickly, Ron Leonard, uh, how, do, how do people get a hold of you, by the way, if you want to, they want to find out more? Well, just uh, take a look at uh, the internet site that I that I have up, uh, which is the renewableenergycoalition.org, and there's forms in there. You can you can ask questions about this. Uh, the uh, what we should be doing uh, in terms of dealing with this problem in Ohio and uh, New York and all these other states that net metering is being attacked on is get to Governor Newsom and tell him that. Uh, unless we have residential solar, we're probably not going to reach the goal of 100% renewable energy in California or in New York. And in fact, residential solar is actually supporting the grid for everyone and is going to contribute billions of dollars to the grid uh, on a yearly basis. So there is no cost shift. There is actually a cost benefit for having residential solar. And it also employs people and it also is the right thing to do you got it and we're almost out of time real quickly ron the other issues are mining uh, lithium and uh cobalt in particular what, what's what's cobalt yeah what, what's the situation with that well lithium mining really hasn't reached any limits per se yet and uh the real issue is can battery manufacturers switch away from cobalt as a mixture of their of their package and frankly tesla has uh, done most of that work and succeeded i think every one of them are going to uh do the same and it's it's not impossible to do uh the chemistry is is doable uh and in fact may actually have benefits uh for the long-term viability of those batteries so why not do it it's going to save money it's going to make the battery more stable. So uh, let's get on with it. That was Tesla's decision. I assume that the next step beyond that, which makes this uh, uh, elimination of cobalt in batteries is gonna be uh, from a thing uh, called a solid state battery. Normally a battery is made of many, many layers and the active layer with the lithium in it is sort of semi-liquidish uh, one way of making a battery, they call a candy roll. It looks like a roll-up uh, uh, egg roll candy type thing. Another way is a prism cell, which is a flat pack. Both of those two things can be made in a solid state. 
think of it as a big hunk of glass, and that's the battery. And that type of battery, which we'll be seeing in two years, will be dominant, will be less costly, it will have unlimited ability to be discharged and charged, and yes, it will cost less. What's that? It will cost less. Wow, and it won't have cobalt in it. It's likely not to need cobalt with present technology uh, yet to be proven, but um, in the lab, it seems to work. Fantastic. Well, Ron Leonard, it's uh, really an honor to have you with us here, and it's good to hear that the solar industry is still booming. Uh, one other thing I've, I've been interested in, the issue of uh, desert-based or arid areas with um, uh, uh, solar panels. Uh, I've seen some stuff uh, arguing that if you if you make the um, um, uh, racking of the solar high enough, you can actually grow crops under the solar panels uh, that are shade crops and very valuable. Have you have you seen much of that? Yeah, and it's becoming extremely popular. First popularized in Japan, and there's an actual sort of rule of thumb. The rule of thumb says one-third solar panels, two-thirds crop. Now, uh, picture a... Uh, two-thirds what? Two-thirds growing things. In other words, if you have uh, one... If you had a square foot and you had one-third one of that square foot covered by a solar panel, you would have, to, you would have the ability to grow in two-thirds of that that same area and have no effect on the growth of that crop. So they have been doing that in Japan for a decade, and now it is being promulgated and used quite successfully everywhere, including Germany. Germany really doesn't have a lot of sunlight, sort of equal to, I don't know, Alaska. You ever been in uh, Hamburg in, uh, uh, in the spring? There's not a lot of sun. Uh, and they've successfully done agro-photovoltaic in Germany, and it works well. It, it can be done, it makes sense to do, and actually it's another way of giving farmers an extra income and another way of enabling family farms to survive and thrive. Fantastic. Of course, in Germany, you have to choose between hops and pot, <laughs> but nonetheless. Uh, okay, uh, Ron Leonard, I think we're just about out of time. It's really been great having you. I hope you'll come back and uh, let's let's have some more good news, hopefully about uh, renewables. But uh, um, uh, it's good to hear. Thank you, uh, crew in New York. Thank you, uh, uh, Ron Leonard. Thank you, Linda Seeley, for being our guest today. Um, uh, and thank you, PRM, Progressive Radio Network, for putting this out. This has been Harvey Sluggo Wasserman at the Solartopia Green Power and Wellness Show. And we will be back again. Uh, next week with another show on energy before we resume the grassroots emergency election protection calls on January 10th. Hey, Harvey. Yes. No nukes and happy birthday. <laughs> Thank you very much. We will see you on uh, next week. Take care. Was there an Adam? Was there an Eve? Or did we evolve from what we conceived? Either way, we got what we needed when the sun shone.